Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. That's the wrong one. KDCL Media, the pride of internet radio for Deep Creek Lake, Garrett County, Maryland, and the world. I'm your host, Oro Cass. Across the room, my lovely wife as usual, Miss Paula, and she's also my, our host. And we're about to bring you another hour of internet radio, so hang on tight. We're going to do a little bit of talk about motivation and 
what that means to us. What 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 does motivation? What is motivation, and what does it mean to us? What does it do for us? That's the subject for tonight's show. So strap in, grab your favorite beverage, pull up your favorite chair, and uh, let's get this thing started. We rearranged the furniture and we can't see each other now. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we used to be able to just look across the room at each other, but we added a piece of furniture that's larger than the piece that it replaced. So, but anyhow, it's your turn. How about that? I'll just say it. <laughs> <laughs> well, motivation comes in many forms. Um, it can come from the voice in your head. And hello from across the pond to yeah. bringing bringing it boy boy <laughs> bring bringing it boy yeah there you go <laughs> welcome to the show glad to have you but anyway back to what I was saying uh, it comes in many forms uh, the voices in your head uh, the voices of your parents or your significant other your friends uh, your coworkers. Um, it uh, it takes many shapes and forms, and uh, it can be as good as a poster on the wall that you walk by every morning on the way to your office, whether your office is in your house or or you have to commute uh, to a, another building. Uh, it, I mean, your motivation comes from a lot of different places. The most important place that your motivation, to me, comes from is yourself, what they call self-talk. And we're programmed with this self-talk from the time uh, we're born. When I guess we're you born, want me to get my book out first, huh? <laughs> <laughs> when, when we're born, we're a blank slate. And from that time forward, we hear the voice of our parents, uh, the voice of our family, uh, you know, whatever voices are all around us, those are the voices that we hear, and that's where we get our programming. We're like a computer. We're like a brand-new computer that has no programming on it whatsoever. And all these voices that you hear throughout your life is where your programming comes from. And, of course, that programming can be overwritten if need be as we grow older and we pick up our own beliefs and we move away from uh, the beliefs of our family, friends, and uh, you know we mature and, and develop our own thoughts and ideas and beliefs. We overwrite some of that programming. But then there's some programming that we need help to overwrite with, to overwrite, whether uh, we read a book by somebody like Napoleon Hill or Mark Victor Hansen or Jim Canfield uh, or we seek professional help to help overwrite that computer programming. Uh, it, the the self-talk is, is the most important talk because we spend more time with ourselves than we do anybody else during our lifetime. Well, and, just in case... Oh, I thought you were... Go ahead. About. No, go ahead. I was going to say, right along the topic you're talking there, um, and I take this out of what I have lately referred to as my all-time favorite uh, marketing motivational type book. It's called What to Say When You Talk to Yourself by Shad Helmstutter, Ph.D. And going right along with what you're talking about there, um, 
he puts it in the, in writing here. It says, let me give you an example of some of the negative programming most of us receive. During the first 18 years of our lives, if we grew up in fairly average, reasonably positive homes, we were told no or we could not do something more than 148,000 times. If you were a little more fortunate, you may have been told no maybe only 100,000 times or 50,000. However many, it was considerably more negative programming than anybody needs. Meanwhile, during the same period, the first 18 years of your life, how often do you suppose you were told that you can do something or what you can accomplish in life? A few thousand, a few hundred. During my, and that, when I read that the other day, I read that the other side, last Saturday, I think it was. And when I read that, it made me think there is a lot of people in, in this, on this planet, um, of all different ages that did get that kind of support when they were growing up, that did hear those things, the positive. Then there's other people that heard nothing but negative. Then, you know, there's of course people that got the physical negative, you know, the punishment type stuff. So it, it has a lot to do with when we went those first 18 years and that influence from the people around us in our immediate family. Absolutely, because there's nobody more important to us than the people we love, and we take their word as you know, gospel. So if somebody says to us, you know, you're stupid, fat, and ugly, then you believe that you're stupid, fat, and ugly. If they tell you you're beautiful no matter what and you're the smartest person in the room, well, then you believe that too, and you act accordingly. Yep. And uh, that, and you know, we get people like Ted Bundy, and you know, this is where your, you know, psychological problems come from with a lot of people, as you were talking about with the physical abuse. And then there's people who go through horrendous abuse, and walk out the other side, uh, you know, they're wonderful people. Mm-hmm. Well, let me give you an example of maybe you want to talk about abuse. There was one there that we haven't covered or I think you've mentioned it, self-abuse, where we abuse ourselves negatively without even realizing it. And this is one of the things that I love about this book and this author, Shad, the uh, PhD, the doctor, is he likes to do lists. And this list is made up of a self-made wall of negative talk. And here's a few examples of frequently used negative self-talk. As you read them, see if you know someone who's something similar, or if you have said something like any of these to yourself. These, I'm going to go through these pretty quick, so don't, don't listen for A, B, C, or 1, 2, 3. I can't remember names. It's going to be another one of those days. It's just no use. I just know it won't work. Nothing ever goes right for me. That's just my luck. I'm so clumsy. I don't have the talent. I'm just not creative. Everything I eat goes right to my waist. I can't seem to get organized. Today just isn't my day. I can never afford the things that I really want. I already know I won't like it. No matter what I can do, I can't seem to lose weight. I never have enough time. I just don't have the patience for that. That really makes me mad. Oh, well, another blue Monday. When will I ever learn? I get sick just thinking about it. Sometimes I just hate myself. I'm just no good. I'm too shy. I never know what to say. With my luck, I don't have a chance. 
I'd like to stop smoking, but I can't seem to quit. Things just aren't working out right for me. I don't have the energy I used to. I'm really out of shape. I never have any money left at the end of the month. Why should I try? It's not going to work anyway. I've never been any good at that. My desk is always a mess. The only kind of luck I have is bad luck. I never win anything. I feel, I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm over the hill. Someone always beats me to it. Nobody likes me. I never get a break. It seems like I'm always broke. Everything I touch turns to, you know what? Nobody wants to pay me for what I'm worth. Sometimes I wish I'd never been born. I'm just no good at math. Those are people that play lottery. I lost, I lose weight, and then I gain it right back again. I get so depressed. I just can't seem to get anything done. Nothing seems to go right for me. I'm just no salesman. That's impossible. There's just no way. I always freeze up in front of a group. I'm nothing without my first cup of coffee in the morning. I just can't get it with it today. I'll never get it right. I just can't take it anymore. I hate my job. I get a cold this time every year. I'm just not cut out for that. I'm really at the end of my rope. You just can't trust anyone anymore. I just can't handle this. I never seem to get any place on time. I've always been bad with words. If only I were smarter. If only I were taller. If only I had more time. If only I had more money. And on and on and on. Wow, that made me tired just listening to <laughs> Well, think about it. How many off of that list have you told yourself over the last month or six months? I lost count. I'll be honest. (laughs) I lost count for myself. You know, and that's the truth. Our brain automatically, it seems that our, our brain automatically comes up with the negative part. The positive part seems to be take a little bit more work to come up with, a little bit of, you know, thought process. Yeah, it's it's uh, you have to really stop and catch yourself. Uh, it, it, you almost have to train yourself to really listen to that voice, to what it's saying. And like, well, like you used to say, just you know, flip it around to something else. Always flip it around. Yeah. Well, my something my grandmother always said was, no matter how bad things are, there's always something good in it. There's always yeah. a positive. And it's true. You can, you know, we've been 34 years. We've been through some pretty rough times. And that's basically what got me through it was remembering her saying that. Yes. And, I mean, we, you know, we, we can't, we always say, well, there's always tomorrow. But, but you know, it's, that's why it's a present, you know, the present. I mean, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. We're only guaranteed right this moment. And uh, a, a dear friend of ours that lives out in Denver, she's one of the ones that helped me get on the, the train about really listening to myself and the things I say. And, yeah, I know I sometimes get carried away because there's a lot of crap going on right now. And uh, sometimes you have to shovel a lot to, to get to the – to get your mind right. Um, but uh, – yeah, it's it's a tough job sometimes, and sometimes it's a full time job. Yeah, and you know we, well, it's all about your attitude. You know, everybody has their times where they're in a good mood and in a bad mood, and that has everything to do with attitude. And um, so it's a matter of 
how you look at it. If, if you're in a bad mood, does that does that affect your motivation? You know, more than likely it does because bad attitude, bad you know, no motivation, the feeling of no motivation, the bad attitude goes along with the list that I just went over, you know, and so that part we understand real easy. That That's the part that comes natural. The thing I want to cover a little bit tonight is what are some of the things we can do, like you were just saying, on purpose in order to have our, make our brain think the opposite of that list. There's another list in the book that goes along with that one that's the opposite, that's farther along in the book. And in case anybody just joined us, the book we're talking about is What to Say When You Talk to Yourself by Shad Helmstetter, Ph.D. It was written back in the early 80s. And um, when, I, when we first got involved with network marketing in the early 90s, I went crazy. I love books. I love to read. That's my favorite way to learn things. So I went crazy and went out and bought up all the marketing books I could find. And then I found out that there were people out there that were actually talking about motivational stuff and about how to be positive and how to, how to have a great attitude and so on. And they were making lots of money doing it. They're, they were called motivational speakers. And we got a chance to meet one of those motivational speakers uh, back in, in the nineties in the late nineties when we traveled for a convention and this guy, his name, I'll just call him coach Mike. Um, he, he used to market a lot of things. I don't know if he still does, so I'm not going to disclose his last name here, but coach Mike, um, was part of the, the, uh, hierarchy of the, of the company. They, they brought him to these conventions in order to do his thing with this motivational speaking. And to give you an idea, if I remember right, you can correct me if I'm wrong there, Miss Paula, but if I remember right, he was saying that his usual fee at that time for his speaking, for him to speak was something like 20000 an hour or something along those lines. I know it was pretty steep. Um, it was uh, real steep. Yeah, well, uh in in his off time, <laughs> he was and still is a preacher, and right. uh, he he does a lot of good work in in his community and uh, has been carrying on with that. Um, so he's he's carried forward the, all the things he talked about. He's walking his talk. Oh yeah, for sure. And um, and, and I believe what I want to do in the second half of the show is I want to we have a, believe it or not it's on cassette tapes. So that's, that'll tell you how old it is. Um, we have some other stuff that we got at conventions since then that are on CDs, but this one dates back to 1998, um, and it was available on cassette tape. <laughs> and I got that queued up in the second half, but um, for right now, I think Miss Paula's got another one of my favorite books laying over there on her desk. Right. Uh Richard Carlson, Ph.D., and uh, we actually got to see him, uh, well, on Zoom. When we were in a Zoom webinar, uh, he he did a, a session with uh, P- uh, Pete Vargas and uh, a whole cast of motivational speaker rise, yeah, rise up, and and he did a a, a wonderful job, and he still. Uh, 
for all the books that he's written and everything, his advice still holds true today. And one of the things that, you know, whether it's in life or, you know, your marketing or, you know, we've been, for some reason, we've been taught that we shouldn't want things and that uh, it makes us greedy people if we ask for what we want. And so, uh, you know, you never, you shouldn't never ask for what you want. (laughs) You know, they asked you to make your list for Christmas. Well, yeah, there is that careful what you, you careful what you wish for. Yeah. But we've gotten into a bad habit of, um, you know, whether it's with family or our employer, like if you go in and ask for a raise, you know, oh, well, you ought to just be glad that you have a job. Yeah. <laughs> be for, feel fortunate. Feel fortunate, yes. yes feel fortunate. So this, this chapter in Don't Sweat the Small Stuff About Money is called Ask for What You Want. Uh, John Can- Jack Canfield and Mark Victor Hansen, authors of The Chicken Soup for the Soul, call this simple strategy the Aladdin Factor. It's astonishing what you can accomplish by simply asking for what you want. Help, a raise, forgiveness, an idea, another chance, a break, or whatever. And not only can you get what you want by asking for it, but often the person you are asking will thank you for taking the initiative. If it's so obviously helpful and important to ask for what we want, why do so few of us do it? Once again, the answer is fear. We worry about the outcome. We're afraid of rejection or a negative response. We might be worried about offending someone or being perceived as weak or of taking advantage of our relationship. We may feel we don't deserve help. For a multitude of reasons, we allow past negative experiences and or our own makeup fears to taint our present opportunities. Several years ago, I had a realization that one of my own greatest assets was my willingness to help others. Hundreds of times I've returned calls to complete strangers or written a response to one of their questions. Sorry. Go ahead. You want to try a mute button there? Oh, I thought I had a go <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yes, several years <laughs> Several years ago, I had the realization that one of my own greatest assets was my willingness to help others. Hundreds of times, I've returned calls to complete strangers or written a response to one of their questions. With friends and families, my willingness to help was even greater. Whenever possible, thin reason, I'm there to help. I realized that helping others, offering assistance, doing favors, feeling needed and wanted is a deep, important human need. It feels wonderful to be needed. This being the case, I realize that, for the most part, other people feel the same way. Despite our fears and concerns to the contrary, it actually is quite arrogant and self-righteous to assume that others aren't as willing to help. I'm not the only nice guy around. What in the world was I thinking? The key in asking for something, large or small, is to be sincere in your belief that deep down others want to help you. You must approach your request by assuming that the person you are asking is just like you. He or she has an inner longing to be of help. 
This simple insight about the goodwill of others dramatically speeded up my path to success as it will you, yours. It meant that I no longer had to do everything myself. I didn't have to develop all my ideas and projects on my own. There are plenty of others more than willing to pitch in and offer their expertise, assistance, and advice. Today, when I ask someone to sit down with me and share an idea, it often sparks ideas that help them as well. What goes around comes around. Those who are willing to help others are always paid back one way or another. Obviously, this isn't a prescription to run out and take advantage of other people. To think in these terms would be to miss the whole point of this strategy. Your own good judgment will prevent you from doing this. Once you remove the fear of asking for help, your wisdom and common sense will instruct you when and how to ask. Rather than being afraid to ask for help, remember this. When you ask someone to help you, you are actually doing them a tremendous favor by giving them an opportunity to feel needed. Beginning today, rub your magic lamp and experiment with the Aladdin factor. I learned how to ask for help in a very simple way. I had hip replacement surgery. <laughs> and before that, I, it, uh, the joint was getting to the point where I couldn't maneuver very good. I couldn't lift uh, anything very heavy. Um, I couldn't walk very far. Yeah, I know you heard me. I said, won't you go ahead and explain that fully? What you mean by you had to learn how to ask for help? <laughs> well, well. Uh, Remember, now what she's about to tell you is after 30 years of not knowing how to ask for help. <laughs> well, I'm I'm somewhat introverted, believe it or not. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> but I've always, uh, my whole life. Um, I mean, when I was a kid, I spent a lot of time with my grandparents and just, you know, me and my grandparents on the farm and, you know, milked the cows and fed the pigs and the chickens and um, spent a lot of time uh, in my, you know, like most farm kids do when they're running around and playing and, you know, getting in the mud puddles and so on and so forth. But as I got older, you know, I, I'm a big, strong girl, you know, I was a big, strong girl, you know, big bone get out there and, you know, heave the hay bales and muck the stalls and, you know, handle the animals. And so, it, you know, I developed, you know, I, this I-can-do-it attitude. You know, there there isn't anything out there. And, that, and I was always told I could do whatever I wanted to do, you know. So I did. <laughs> I, you know, and I got really terrible at asking for help. Because I didn't need it, I could do it myself. Until I couldn't do it myself. Mm, okay. Pretty good. Um, pretty good explanation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, that's funny you should say that. We live in Amish country. Uh, we we have a very uh, pretty good sized Amish and Mennonite community uh, here where we live in rural Maryland, and I, like I said, that's just uh, you know I. My people were farm people were, you know, come from good, solid German, Irish peasant stock. And, you know, that's what you do. You get up and you do it. And if it needs done and. You were like me, you were taught motivation at the end of a, uh, well, well, for you probably wasn't as many leather straps as me. But. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, 
No. The... That's all I thought motivation. <laughs> you know, a size 10 railroad boot and a leather uh, razor strap. Well, now, unless you gave me a book. Now, if you if there was That's a book. Here, book. Yeah, yeah. Book, <laughs> books is it. For sure. But, you know, books were for a rainy day or for after the gardening and the, you know, churning and everything else was done. That that, that was when you got to read the book. <laughs> but, and, He's here. He'll be up here in a few minutes. You better hurry up and hide the money. Yeah. He's coming after. I know he's wanting money. Picked his car. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Old world Northern European within. <laughs> but uh, it and it it's hard. I, I mean, it's hard to give up that control because part of it becomes about control too. You know, when you're able to do something, you're always in control. But when you can't do it anymore, you're no longer in control. Yeah, you like Leroy in his car? Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm glad he's here because it's the bottom of the hour and it's time for a little break. And we'll get him taken care of while we're on break so he he doesn't sneak on the microphone or anything. So um, while we're going to take a little break, we'll just uh, put on a friend of ours' music. you, you won't find this guy in the music stores or my, maybe not even online anymore. I don't know. We got a chance to get a hold of his CDs because uh, we got to meet him while we were gold mining in Northern California in 2015. So uh, sit back and enjoy it while Dayton sings about his Alaska girls. I had to go down south to figure out something I probably should have known. Sometimes I guess you have to leave to figure out how good it is at home. And somehow in a warmer climate, I learned what I should have known so well. I got hot and bothered, and them southern girls left my heart cold as hell. And I made Girl, girl. I miss my sweet forgiving eyes, just the way they brightened up my world. Them sweet, I can never burn. Their hearts melting the polar caps, bringing global warming to the world. I guess I'll have to get back to the land of midnight sun. Captain for that perfect girl who fish all night to prove that she's the one. Yeah, the northern lights got nothing on the sweetest side in this big old world. I've seen their light dancing in the eyes of the sweet Alaskan girl. And I love Alaskan girl. My heart forgive me not Love the way they brighten up my world Home grown Like the 
their heart melt in the glacial ice, bringing global warming to the world. And I speak for Northern guys. We creep to death on them cold nights with eyes of passion burning in their eyes. They're my sweet Alaskan heart is That was yesterday afternoon. <laughs> yeah, kind of like that. Um, you're listening to KDCL Media, the pride of Internet Radio for Deep Creek Lake, Garrett County, Maryland, and the entire world. And the chat room is open. We have some folks hanging out. You can call in. That's easy. 515-602-9763. I know we have some people listening remotely. We usually do. Um also, you'll be able to find the archive of the show here on Blog Talk Radio, among other places. And we really appreciate it when people come in live because this is radio. This is not podcasting, just so you know. When you're live, I don't think of it as podcasting. Uh, we've, we've been on involved here with Blog Talk Radio on and off since 2009, and they, weren't, they hadn't been around very long when we got started with them. So we've watched them grow and watch them, uh, the tools that we have available, for instance, the studio that we have available, it's the exact same thing that people that still work in live radio stations use. The computer graphics are the same. It's The computer program is the same as what they use in radio stations. So it's, uh, you know, it's all set up. We have the clips with the different sounds and the music. Uh, switchboard with people calling in. There's a live chat. So we have a lot of ways to share, and we love doing it. We're looking forward to, in the very near future, bumping our time limit from one hour up to three hours, which means some of our shows will either be two or three hours long. So that's that's when we really get in a good groove. We start building the audience up a lot bigger. Um, in a matter of a month or so, you'll you'll come in and pop in the chat and find out that there's 30 or 40 or 70 or 80 people hanging out. So that's what we're used to. And we're looking forward to it getting back to that. In busy times. <laughs> uh, I got to think, I just got to thinking about that. You know, my first experience as a DJ was when I was 13, 14 years old. When were you DJing at that age? Well, now, you remember WMSG, local right. AM station here. They used yeah. to have a show in the afternoons. I can't even think of what it was called, but they they always had a, a 
they would bring in, uh, it was like a contest. You wrote why you wanted to be a DJ. And oh, okay. you go, go in for like a week. Right. And on this show, they'd you know let you help pick the records and stuff like that. Read the copy. Did you get to do the weather? No, mostly it was just the, <laughs> the chit-chat kind of thing. Well, that's really good. I mean, the only time I've ever been on actual radio was when I uh, won the contest with John Boy and Billy that time. Yeah, I actually remember the the oh, real. Wait a minute. I've been on. I've been on with uh, uh, Art Bell, Big John Trimble, and also Big John Trimble way back. That's WRVA days. That's the trucking show back in the eighties. And then, uh, but but also with uh, George Norrie on uh, After Dark. Yeah, so but um, I've with, done a lot of calling in, but I've never broadcast from a station before. Well, now when we used to go to Richmond, we'd stop in and see Big John. You'd go up in the studio. You were sleeping in the truck, and you were asleep, and I'd go up and hang out in the studio with Big John, and he'd pull up the chair and pull over one of those big long arm mics, and we'd sit there and chew the fat, trucker style. WRVA. WRVA in Richmond, Virginia. Big John Trimble's show. Yep, that was some good times. It was uh, that was back when trucking was fun. Yeah, yeah. Back in the eighties. <laughs> A long, long time ago. Yep. But anyway. But anywho. To get back uh, motivation. on topic. That's yeah. We're back on topic with motivation, <laughs> and uh, as promised, I want to uh, play some audio. From and I consider him a good friend because we got to know him as a good friend in the short seven days we were together in Cancun, and because uh, he was there every day, we were hanging out every day. We got to go eating with different the founders and different people depending on where you went to eat and so on. So there was a lot of behind the, behind the scene time with the speakers that were presenting at the at the at the convention and coach mike was there for one reason and one reason only and that was to motivate people because this was a a network marketing company and the product that we had was very expensive it was set up in three different levels and just to give you an idea the first level with the first the cost to get involved was twelve hundred and fifty dollars so it wasn't an easy sell so motivation was key at that point. And this guy that you're about to hear was a great source for that motivation. And we got the, uh, I got the tape series that he had for sale down there at that time. And he signed, uh, autographed it for me. So it's pretty special. And I hope you all think that Coach Mike is special like we do. Hang on tight and let's listen to a little bit of Coach. Find the playback. Hush. Put your glasses on, Dad. <laughs> How many have ever dealt with fear in their life before? Just wave at me. The rest of your lives, you're too afraid to wave your, wave your hand at me. Everybody deals with fear. In fact, interesting enough, the number one fear on the planet is the fear of public speaking. How's that? That is the number one fear. I've always been amazed at that because the number six fear is death. So people are more afraid of speaking than they are dying. 
Well, the reason is, is anytime you begin to speak, you do something. And you know this at least subconsciously, you reveal your heart. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So whatever in your heart is going to come out. And then a lot of us understand there's a lot of stuff in our heart we don't want to come out because if it ever came out, it would expose what's in our heart. And we become fearful and we get into this thing, you know, this funky position where we just kind of freeze up in life. And I like to say it this way. I've seen it happen so many times where there are people that are actually frozen in time. Fear can actually cause you to be frozen in time. Have you ever ran into somebody, and, and I hope you're not this somebody. I believe you're not. Have you ever ran into somebody you went to high school with? Now, some of you here might be young in age, but those of you that are my age or older, I'm getting ready to have my 20th uh, anniversary, or, or what do they call it? Reunion. 20th. Uh, I'm getting ready to have my 15th anniversary, my, my 20th reunion. Now, at my 20th reunion, I'm kind of excited to go back and see people, but I do know something will happen because I've already bumped into some of them before. And the amazing thing is there are some of them that although they're my age, I'm 36 years old, they still look and act 18. Nothing wrong with looking and acting 18 if you're 18. But if you're 36 years old, there's something wrong with looking and acting 18. Some of them are still trying to wear the same jeans they wore when they're 18. <laughs> some of them will tell you, you know something? I still wear the same jeans that I wore in high school. Now, of course, they're down around their ankles because that's the only thing it'll fit over which actually puts them in vogue, doesn't it? But, but what's happening is they're frozen in time. Same hairstyle, same style of clothing, same mindset, the same speech. You know, I remember when I was in high school, I used to swear a lot, used to cuss a lot. Well, you know something, I'm not too uptight if people cuss around me. But you know something, I know that you can't succeed in business if you don't clean up your mouth. I just know that. So after age 18... You know, you've got to do some changing. Well, if you run into a 36-year-old that's still got a foul mouth, you understand something. They haven't grown in 18 years. They are frozen in time. Now, why do people get frozen in time? Because if you're frozen in time, you can't progress. You can't grow. You can't achieve. You can't succeed. You just are frozen. Why do people get frozen in time? Because of fear. They're afraid to change. Whether it's their hairstyle, they're afraid to change. Or whether it's their communication skills, they're afraid to change. Whatever it is, whether it's success, many people are afraid of success. Whatever it is, that fear causes them to be frozen. Well, what my job is tonight is to unfreeze you. And all of us have areas that we're frozen in. All of us have some areas that we need thought out. All of us are kind of frozen in in certain areas in our heart. So my job is to unfreeze you. How many people are ready to be unfrozen? Right? Now think about marriages. What happens in marriages? Well, fear many times will cause a marriage in a certain area to freeze up. It'll cause in a certain area, whether it's communication, whether it's sexually, whether it's some kind of relational issue, all of a sudden this thing will just get frozen, and all of a sudden this thing stops progressing, and if a marriage stops progressing, then it starts dying, and eventually it will be destroyed. But if you can unthaw, how many marriages want to get unthawed tonight? See, that's a trick question, isn't it? You can't raise your hand next to your spouse. You just quietly go like this. We're talking about the idea of breaking through fear so that your life can be exciting and dynamic and grow and progress and be everything so your dream life can begin to expand. Now, I'm going to give you some principles concerning fear, and I've got seven ideas, and these are the seven laws to breaking fear. I mean, if you get these down, you'll have the tools to break fear. Now, here's the amazing thing about fear. Usually when we think about fear, we think of phobias. The fear of this, the fear of this, the fear of this, the fear of this. 
But once you begin to understand the nature of fear and control fear, what happens is it doesn't matter what fear you face. You understand that you beat fear the same way each time. You destroy the power of fear over your life the same way each time. So whether it's the fear of public speaking, or whether it's the fear of death, or whether it's the fear of sickness, the phobia of this, the phobia of that, the phobia of this, or the phobia of that, the same pattern is the way you break it. And so once you learn how to break it, what happens is life is all about breaking through certain barriers. And any time you're going to achieve in life, what happens is you hit a barrier. Once you hit that barrier, you have to figure out how to break through things that will cause you to be to be frozen so that you can't progress. So as you break through, usually you're always dealing with some type of fear. So if you learn how to break fear, you learn how to break barriers. If you learn how to break, break barriers, you will never, you will never, it is, will be impossible for anybody to stop you in progressing in your life and growing in any area of your life. You will always face fears. Those fears become the barriers when you have the tools to break those fears. doesn't matter what it is. doesn't matter which phobia, which fear, which wall. You understand every time how to break walls, and all I'm going to do is give you a technology or a tool that shows you exactly what to do. I'm not just going to kind of get you hyped up and say, you know, don't be fearful. I'm going to give you some tools. How many like tools? Right? How many know it's not enough to just stare, you know, at a pile of wood and say, I'm going to build a house. House. Build. And then you can't, you can't be frustrated if the house doesn't appear. Man, I said to that house, build. I have a dream. They told me if I had a dream, then it would happen. And it's not happening. Right, because you've got to get the tools out to achieve the dream. You don't get the tools out, nothing's going to get built. See, what we have to do is build the dreams. Good, you have one, but you have to build it after you have it. You understand what I'm saying? So we're going to give you some tools. Now, here's the first idea. First of all, you've got to understand what fear is. Now, here's a great idea. Fear is the opposite of faith. Now, when I mean faith, I mean the kind of faith that you could apply to anything. Like in religion, we say faith in God, correct? Faith in God. In other words, you're, you're using faith to believe in God. But you also need faith in yourself, true? You've got to believe in yourself. Come on, somebody, somebody say yes. All right. So you've got to believe in yourself. We know that. And how many know you have to have faith in your spouse? If you don't have faith in your spouse, you have problems in a relationship. You have to have faith in your business. In other words, you won't invest in your business unless you have faith, unless you believe it's going to work. Now, fear is the opposite of faith. Now, here's a definition of faith. Write this down. Here's a definition of faith. Faith is when you have substance and tangibility concerning what your hopes are. So anything you're hoping or anything you have vision for, faith is when you have substance and tangibility. Now, faith is also when you can't see something with these eyes, you have a sense and a confidence that it is there and that you have possession of it. So faith is the substance or tangibility of things hoped for. It becomes evidence, or it is the evidence of things you cannot see with your natural eyes. Now think about cells in your body or molecules. Now it hasn't been till recent history that we discovered the molecule. Now do you know that they had a sense, they had a feeling, they had an understanding. In theory, they thought there was something called a molecule. They thought there was something called a molecule before they ever discovered there was a molecule. But what allowed them to actually see molecules. Come on. A microscope. So in other words, their natural eye could not really show them a molecule. They had to have something aid their vision. You know, we've been discovering some amazing things concerning uh, the cosmos or the heavens. 
In fact, recently they found that there is water on the moon. It was an amazing discovery. They found it in the form of ice. And they, and they think there is enough ice to where now they think that they can colonize the moon within 10 to 20 years. Because the problem with the moon in colonizing, it wasn't that they couldn't build places to, to survive on the moon. It was transporting water you to the moon. Because human beings need water to survive. So if you can't transport water, and water is heavy, water per gallon is, is eight pounds. And you have to, it, it is not uncommon for a human being to drink a gallon of water a day. That's eight cups of water a day. In fact, that's what's healthy, is to drink eight cups or a gallon of water a day. So you're talking about eight pounds per day per person, not including growing things, not including you know, the things that they would need in, in terms of washing, sanitation, and so on. Eight pounds of water a day per person. And so they're thinking, well, there's no possible way I mean, the typical person who may weigh 150 pounds average, I mean, figure that out. What is that? Is that a little under 20 gallons of water, uh, uh, you know, for, you know, 20 days of survival for this person? So for them to survive, you know, 20 days, they've got to bring 20 gallons of water, which equals one person's weight. Now, that, that becomes astronomical in the cost of, of flying to the moon and, and all of a sudden putting water on the moon. So they knew they couldn't do it. That was something that they had to deal with. Now, when they discovered ice on the moon, they're now saying, listen, ice is water. We can use this water to colonize the moon. Now, how did they find that out? Well, they sent something there. They sent a satellite. And they, this thing ended up crawling on the ground, and it got out there, and, and a lens that wasn't your eyes viewed something, saw something, and allowed them to begin to live their life and plan their life based upon vision that wasn't from their natural eye. That's exactly what faith is. Faith is a tool given to you, like the telescope, like the microscope, to see things that other people cannot see. Now, fear is simply the opposite of faith. What fear is, is the substance of things not hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So in other words, you can't see it with your natural eye, but you believe it's there. You have substance and tangibility, and therefore you live your life based upon something you cannot even see with your natural eye, but you would assume it is there through what I call anti-faith, which is simply fear. So you've got to learn how to control these things and develop faith in response to fear. And as you do that, what happens is you begin to develop tools that allow you to break those fears because what happens is if you never break those fears, they begin to control your future because what you see up here will determine your future. And that's Coach Mike. And uh, we're going to be playing a lot of him. I've got, I think there's about seven or eight tapes, hour better, longer in uh, the series. So uh, we'll be. Uh, be exploring a lot more, Coach Mike, whenever we do these Motivation Thursdays. Yeah, and fear, well, fear is uh, always a big thing that everybody talks about, false expectations appearing real. That's what we always heard it to be. We heard that first in 1991. So uh, from time immemorial of any kind of marketing or motivation, it's always been conquer your fear. Right. Well, you can't have motivation and fear at the same time. It, I don't believe they can exist at the same time in your head. Um, because uh, motivation creates attitude. Uh, if, if, it's, if your motivation is positive motivation, 
course, it's positive attitude, and business is good. So uh, the best, the number one thing I learned from Coach Mike, uh, and he didn't really get into it on this particular tape. I wanted to, I wanted to play this one about fear tonight, and that is uh, the one that he talks where he talks about confidence and uh, being able to think ahead, being able to see ahead and make plans, you know, that, that you can work through and not just, there's a difference between a plan and a dream. In other words, that is on another one of his tapes and it's my favorite. We'll get into that one probably on another show, but for tonight, Thanks to the one-hour time limit, we're just about out again. Yes, but uh, we covered a lot of ground. We cover a lot of ground in an hour. Amen. <laughs> and uh, uh, it, wait. that's what I thought, you buddy. Saw. Kind of late for chainsaw carving. <laughs> That's Leroy. You just know made, about that boy. Made me forget what I was going to say. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it didn't take us too long to get the uh, the rust knocked off and then get back in the groove, so that we we cover a good bit of stuff in an hour. So. Right. And like I said, it's going to be next week, maybe the week after, but we are soon going to be bumping it up to either two hours or three hours. Whenever we pay the next level on the, uh, the blog talk, we'll have a total of three hours per day. So we'll be able to do, we'll probably end, be doing a lot of two hour shows. I like a two hour show. It, it goes, flows really well. You have the, a couple of music breaks instead of just one. So it works out really well. Uh, as far as motivation, I like to end this evening with uh, a few of what I have on my wall. If you go over on Facebook and look down my timeline, you'll see a picture of this wall. It has a lot of yellow paper with a piece of pink and, a, and one orange piece. And things are wrote on these pieces of paper like some will, some won't, so what? someone's waiting uh, another one says the secret to getting ahead is getting started man by the name of Mark Twain said that um, by failing to prepare you're preparing to fail somebody just a little older than Mark Twain a guy by the name of Ben Franklin said that one uh, massive action equals massive results uh, I know the author but we'll just leave it for leave that one and this is one we just got not long ago, but I heard quite a long time ago because Jim Rohn is somebody that I've studied quite a lot. And his favorite saying was, be strong, but not rude. Be kind, but not weak. And be bold, but don't bully others. And that has to do with marketing, whenever you're direct marketing with people. Um, if you want something you never had, you have to be willing to do something you've never done. That comes from the guy you just heard, Coach Mike. That was the first time I heard that. Not sure if he's the original author. And last but not least, my all-time favorite motivational speaker, a guy by the name of Les Brown. When life knocks you down, 
You can just lie there, but if you can look up, you can stand up. And don't forget, he also said, you got to be hungry. Yeah, that's Les Brown. I, I remember uh, watching uh, the PBS station, uh, our, our PBS station. We only used to get one out of Pittsburgh. And when they do their uh, big fundraisers every year, they always had Les Brown on because Les Brown was from Pittsburgh. And yep. Les Brown was Pittsburgh boy done good. So we've we've uh, been exposed to Les Brown before we even knew what motivational speaking was. Yeah, back when we first got married, I, um, they did. He was on the PBS thing, and we paid the money and got it was a book or something. Books or tapes or we something. We'd only been married a year or two back then. So yeah, we've been uh, about thirty, thirty plus years exposure to less and that you know that's that's the kind of stuff we something that paul and i have in common we're both avid readers we love to read especially the old-fashioned books you know the ones where you got to open the cover up and you get to see the table of contents and stuff like that and then uh also uh, we've been on the internet together since about 1995 96, I guess it was. And that was back in the days when all there was was America Online. Unless you knew how to work a C-prompt and work in DOS and was able to go to what they called uh, the, what what was it? uh, What kind of groups was it? Oh, the uh, bulletin boards, the electronic bulletin boards, boards, uh, uh, the IRC boards. But ten o'clock's a long one. Yeah, <laughs> that must have been a really old tractor. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's uh, we've been a, we've been around the block a little while. We've also done network marketing for about that long. We were first introduced to that in '91, and today I want to end the show by talking just the hair. It's going to cover up Rosalie a minute or two, but um, you definitely want to check out orocast.com. That explains everything we're doing in the day-to-day. So, Rosalie, bring it on in here, and we will talk to everyone Saturday at 3 p.m. Eastern. Talk to you then. Be blessed. Good night, everybody.
Just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. 